The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into Hour 2 of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I was hoping to talk with um, Michael Letts this hour, um, but as happens uh, oh, from time to time with uh, live radio, we're not connected so far. I don't know if he's supposed to call me or if I'm supposed to call him. I don't have a number for it. Um, in any event, what we do is because I have uh, interviews I've done that haven't aired yet, we'll shift gears and uh, we'll have another interview um, in its place. Uh, Jeffrey Weiss was on just recently and um, or I, he and I spoke just recently. This interview has not aired yet, but we'll we'll go ahead and uh, and get into it with. Um, let's see. I can't quite tell. Let me. Yeah, welcome to live radio, folks. This is just how how it kind of works. Okay. Let me see if I can find Jeff uh, very quickly here. Yeah, he's uh, the author of a book called Fighting Back. We're going to get into uh, all of that with um, Jeffrey Weiss up next. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. And just recently, we did a show on uh, uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. But in honor of uh, Israeli Independence Day, a uh, new book is uh, out about a World War II veteran uh, who went to uh, fight another war in Israel written by brothers Jeffrey and Craig Weiss. And Jeffrey Weiss joins me by phone. Good morning, Jeffrey. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I really appreciate it. Tell, uh, tell me about this, uh, this World War II veteran um, and, and when exactly he took up arms uh, in defense of Israel. Uh, his name was Stan Andrews. He was originally from New York. Uh, in World War II, he became a B-25 bomber pilot, uh, flew uh, over 40 missions uh, in the Pacific, uh, came back to uh, the States uh, after the war, uh, and uh, started to pursue a master's at UCLA on the GI Bill, 
And then in the spring of 1948, um, started to follow news reports about uh, a looming uh, British departure from mandatory uh, Palestine and um, an anticipated uh, declaration of uh, an independent Jewish state and the threat of war uh, by all of its neighbors. And so he traveled to, uh, to the region in May of 1948 um, and ultimately became uh, one of the first fighter pilots uh, in the Israeli Air Force and served uh, there for uh, most of the war and uh, uh, first in a fighter squadron and then later in a bomber squadron. Now, Israel was just being established at that time, if I remember my history correctly, coming out of World War II, um, that that area was set aside to be settled as Israel. And so we're really talking about a U.S. World War II veteran that's helping to um, establish Israel and and the history, the birth, if you will, of the uh, Israeli Air Force, which by today's standards is is one of the finest in the world. Yeah, basically, the United Nations voted uh, on November 30th, 1947, uh, to partition what was then uh, under British mandatory rule into a a Jewish state and uh, an Arab state. Um, the the Jews of the region accepted the vote, celebrated the vote, um, and the surrounding Arab nations uh, and the Palestinian Arab leadership rejected it and threatened war if the Jews went forward with um, any effort to establish an independent state. On May 14, 1948, um, uh, the Jews uh, of, uh, of the area, led by uh, David Ben-Gurion, who became the first prime minister, declared um, an independent Jewish state called Israel. And that very day, uh, the war began with uh, bombing by the Egyptian Air Force uh, and an invasion across um, all of the uh, the new country's borders. Um, so, so yeah, so Stan was there uh, very close to the beginning of the war. Um, and interestingly, Stan, among his other talents, was an artist and actually created the uh, the logo that was put on the planes of this first fighter squadron, that squadron. Uh, still exists today and, and interestingly, actually still flies its missions now in F-16s with that same logo uh, that he designed uh, 70 years ago. I'm talking with uh, Jeff Weiss, and he and his brother Craig co-wrote uh, the book Fighting Back, Stan Andrews and the Birth of the Israeli Air Force. And um, Jeff, I... I, I, I guess I'm curious, uh, Stan Andrews, of course, as, as we said earlier, was a World War II veteran just really back for a couple of years before taking up arms on behalf of uh, Israel. What was his um, attachment to the cause of developing a free Israel? Um. It's a great question, especially for this about this particular individual, because he he was he was Jewish by birth, but was um, was very assimilated. Um, uh, never uh, in his life had set foot in a synagogue. Never had a bar mitzvah. Was not 
you know, was not affiliated in the way that we tend to think of it today um, with, with the Jewish community in any way. But during his time in the uh, American uh, Army Air Corps, um, experienced some anti-Semitism, and it, it made him feel more acutely um, what it meant to be Jewish and, and the hostility that still, you know, was out there in the world against the Jewish people. And to him, what he saw uh, taking shape in, um, in Israel and with this looming war, he saw it as a, a, an historic opportunity for, um, for him as a Jew to, to basically stand up and fight back against the enemies of his people. So he really kind of, for him, it became an event that, that led him to kind of rediscover his identity and to take great pride in it and to put himself at great personal risk to kind of um, uh, express that and, and, um, and, uh, and have that experience. Jeffrey, would he, would Stan have, have come in, in contact with um, any of the activities surrounding um, concentration camp liberation? He was a flyer. Would he have been somewhat removed from all of that, or might he have been um, impressed by he was- what he had seen? He was removed from that in the sense that he was in the Pacific theater, not in the European theater. Um, so, you know, the, he, he was part of the fight against the Japanese, not, not part of the fight against the Germans and their allies in Europe. Um, but certainly in the years following the war, um, continuing until 90, not, until 1948, at the time that he went to Israel, there were still hundreds of thousands of um, Jewish victims of the Holocaust, those who had survived, who were in displaced persons camps uh, in Europe, who had no place to go, no country in the world wanted them. They wanted overwhelmingly to go to Israel to become part of the new Jewish state. But while the British ruled, they were not allowed to enter. And so I think kind of this extended continuing drama from the Holocaust was playing out on newsreels. There were famous attempts to bring Jewish refugees to uh, Palestine on refugee ships, the Exodus being the most famous uh, of those. Leon Uris uh, wrote a fictionalized account of it uh, back in the 1960s. Um, you know that that part he definitely um, he definitely would have seen. Uh, I think a crew member from the Exodus actually came to UCLA and spoke while Stan was there. So I, th- I think in that sense he very much was affected by the Holocaust and and its aftermath. But 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 was not himself uh, someone who would have visited a camp at that time. I remember reading about American pilots going over to um, England and joining the RAF, the Royal Air Force, in uh, the very early days of World War II, even before the U.S. had joined forces. Um, how does somebody like Stan... Um, just up and join an air force in Israel. How did those? <laughs> how did those guys go join the RAF? You know, before the U.S. was even involved in the war. I'm just curious. Did you come across any? Um, I don't know uh, um, uh, procedural elements that had to be invoked in order to do that. 
Yeah, very much. Uh, I basically there was a period of time, 1946, 1947, where it was apparent that that there was there was going to be a war um, that was in an attempt to prevent the creation of a Jewish state and. And you had a tremendous number, hundreds of thousands of of Jews who'd served uh, in the U.S. military in World War II, many of whom were motivated to want to go and fight. Uh, but the U.S. government announced that they would not issue passports um, to people to go to Palestine, to go to Israel, uh, to become part of the conflict there. And that basically was enough to dissuade uh, most uh, most of the of the veterans who would who would otherwise have been motivated to do it to dissuade them from going, and so for someone like Stan, he basically had to create kind of a cover story as to why he wanted to go uh, to Europe. And he actually went first to Europe, uh, then was taken to what was then uh, Czechoslovakia, and actually trained behind the Iron Curtain on uh, on on a, on a German Messerschmitt. Um, and that was his pilot training to be part of the Israeli Air Force and then was flown, uh, essentially was smuggled into Israel on, in, in the back of a C-46 transport plane. Um, so, yeah, he had to take a very circuitous route to get there, had to basically uh, create a story. I think in his case it was to, um, uh, to do research for a movie uh, was the reason why he was explaining to the U.S. government that he needed to go to Europe. Um, so it, it was definitely something that uh, uh, required him to jump through some hoops and put him at some legal risk in terms of a possible loss of his citizenship. More with author Jeffrey Weiss straight ahead. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, Everybody transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with author Jeffrey Weiss straight ahead. Did Stan survive? He did not. Uh, he was killed during one of the climactic battles uh, of the war in the southern part of the country against the uh, against the Egyptians. Uh, the bomber that he was on uh, was shot down behind uh, Egyptian lines, and uh, he was uh, and he was killed. And in fact, uh, is still carried as missing in action. His body was not recovered. So it's believed he was killed in the crash, not taken and executed. Uh, either one is possible, but there were three crewmen on the plane. Um, only one body that belonging to a different crewman was recovered. So it seems, it seems very possible that he, he and the other crewmen, he and the third crewman were captured, uh, taken somewhere else and executed. Fascinating. What, um, when did the, uh, when is the actual release date for the book? Uh, May 17th. Okay, so it's it's coming out this month. And and what is the significance of of that date? Is is that Israeli Independence Day? Israeli Independence Day is actually 3 days before that, May 14th. Um uh <laughs> other than that that was uh I don't think that date had any particular magic, um, but uh, but it is quite close in time to uh, Israel's Independence Day, which does seem to be a fitting uh, time in which to uh, uh, to be reminded of this story and this chapter in Israel's history. What what attracted you to this story? It's it, it wouldn't have been a very well known story. How did you come across it? Um. Uh, my brother and I wrote a prior book uh, back in 1998 about American and Canadian volunteers who went to Israel to fight, uh, most of whom uh, participated in the Air Force. And it was a story that, you know, really moved both of us, really fascinated both of us. And and in that book, we really tried to capture the kind of the volunteer experience, that story on a large scale, um, you know, kind of looking at, 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 diff, at the different, uh, at, at a number of different volunteers, the number of different units in which they served and, 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 you know, kind of taking a, you know, kind of zooming out on, on the whole volunteer contribution. In the course of that research, we came across Stan's story and, and Stan, there was something about him that always, I think really drew us in. He was so, uh, so talented. Uh, he was a tremendous writer. He was a tremendous artist. Um, and and really had ambition, you know, not only to come to Israel to fight, not only to come and help establish a Jewish state, but also to, he, he realized he was taking part in something historic and wanted to try to capture the, the war and to tell its story in every artistic medium uh, that he was familiar with, writing, uh, film, art, uh, and so forth. And... And, and and really did a lot of great things while he was in Israel, but, you know, of course, in the end was not able to tell that story because he did not live to see out the end of the war. Um, and so for us, it became a mission to really try to track down um, the things that he had created uh, while he was in Israel, um, the work that he had done, and 
it took us quite a long time just to track down his family, but over time we tracked down uh, his his letters, a bunch of his writings from Israel, things as far back as high school essays, college essays, uh, fiction that he wrote between uh, the two wars, um, and uh, you know, really quite a trove of material that gave us an ability to really capture who he was, what he thought, the things that he did, and uh, it's been it's been quite a quite an exciting process for us. And and you wrote the um, you and Craig wrote I am my brother's keeper: American volunteers in Israel's war for independence in 1998. That's correct. And then when did you decide decide that you wanted to do this uh, this follow up book that that's more focused on an individual? You know, honestly, we decided during the research for the first book back in like 1997, um, but, you know, had to finish that book first and then really had to find uh, Stan's family and did not find them until 2005. Um, and then after finding them, had to uncover enough of his story, enough of his writings, enough of the materials that he had created to really have a full picture um, and that took a bunch more years, um, and it probably took us another good, <laughs> probably 13, 14 years to really have enough that we felt like we could actually uh, capture um, who he was and what he did and what he felt and what he experienced. Um, but uh, it was it was a tremendously satisfying experience. Jeff, when you were researching the book um, for uh, about Stan and and also the previous book, and you mentioned a little bit earlier that you were looking at Canadian and American pilots that went over to fight for uh, the establishment of Israel and uh, to help defend the establishment of, of Israel. But did you find that they were... Um, that these pilots that that volunteered to fly for Israel, that they were really committed to the cause, or were these military trained pilots that um, that really wanted to find some more action, that just loved to fly? I, I think it's a great question, and I don't think that there is a thing that there is a clear answer to it. I think. I think clearly, including, I think, in Stan's case, I think there were elements of both things. Um, I, think, I think certainly those who went believed in the cause, um, but I also think that um, I think for some uh, Americans who came through World War II physically unscathed, I do think in the years that followed, life was less intense, less meaningful, less exciting, and I think for some going over uh, to be part of another good war, uh, to be uh, fighting for something that mattered, I think that was very um, appealing to a number of these folks. Um, one of the Canadians that uh, Stan uh, encountered on his way over, spent some time with, was um, a fighter pilot named Buzz Burling. He was actually Canada's leading World War II ace, uh, he had some wonderful nicknames, the Falcon of Malta, 
being one of them. He shot down uh, over 30 German planes, I think, in just a two-week period uh, during World War II. And I think for him, you know, it, it, the idea that he would get back into combat uh, back in the seat of a fighter plane um, was incredibly exciting. He certainly believed in the cause. I think, you know, probably in his case, the the excitement of a return to combat might have been a more, uh, you know, might have been a stronger factor uh, than perhaps it was for um, for Stan. But but certainly, I think there were elements of both in his motivation and in that of others. I, I just bring that up because I've talked to a number of uh, pilots who were involved in significant ways in, uh, in in the Air Force and and in flying and. For so many of them, they started out as as very young people, just absolutely frantic to get in the air. You know, they just really wanted to fly and would do anything to have the opportunity to fly. And and I just I just wondered how much of a a pull that was or or how much it it, it really was about um, giving Jews a place of their own on the planet. It definitely, definitely, both things were there, and I think even more specifically in Stan's case, um, he really wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, in World War II, when he joined the U.S. Army Air Corps, it was with the goal of becoming a fighter pilot specifically, and he eventually was routed to bombers, and you know, became a very successful, a decorated bomber pilot. But I think for him, there was always that dream that had not been fulfilled. And so going to Israel meant, you know, a a chance to fight back as a Jew. It meant a chance to return um, to the excitement of of war. And it meant an opportunity to become a fighter pilot, which which he was able to, um, to achieve. So I definitely think motivation motivation for folks is a, can be a complicated thing, um, and I, I certainly think you've you've you know you've correctly identified that you know that is certainly an element for people who engage in uh, you know in this kind of activity. The well, just, excitement uh, spe- is certainly part of it, especially among pilots. Um, Absolutely, you know they they talk about their flight experiences a lot more than than people that had other jobs in the military. Um, you know, the, there's something about that flying, and some came back and became commercial pilots, and you know continued to have a career um, at thirty thousand plus feet. Um, and so I, I I just I wondered if you had come across any writings or or uh anything that yes dan wrote about about his he wrote about his dream of being a fighter pilot he wrote about how frustrated he was uh to be in a bomber rather than a fighter plane how he envied uh the fighter pilots that he saw out there doing all of these great uh fighter (laughs) fighter plane stunts um and of course that was that was the mood you know, really in the nation during the 1940s, becoming a fighter pilot, that was the dream of, you know, a huge number of, of, of American men who were heading off to war. That was, and there was a a famous song in the, I think 1942, 1943, uh, sang by Dinah Shore, 
and before that, I think by Kay Kaiser about, um, you know, that the, walking down the street with her, with her boyfriend, uh, he with his, uh, wings on his tunic, me with my heart on my sleeve, something like that. Like it was, it was, it was the great dream of, of, of many folks in Stan. It was a dream that Stan certainly shared. Now, when you were, when you wrote the, uh, the other book, I Am My Brother's Keeper, um, you know, clearly you got to the end of that and thought, but wait, there's more, and, and you and Craig have written another book. Is there a, a third? Is there more to the story? Uh, will there be another book from the Weiss brothers? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, we'll see. I and think, and uh, how is it working with your brother on a, uh, on a big great. project like this? It's great. We, uh, you know, we work well together. It's great to have somebody who is on the same journey, who has the same passion, uh, who really understands. Um, you know, we each understand what the other one is going through, what the other one is experiencing. And uh, it's wonderful. I mean, writing can be a, a lonely pursuit. Um, but, but, but much less, much less so when you're doing it with, uh, with somebody else. But then once the book is out, there's, you know, a certain amount of expectation on the, uh, on the author or authors to get out and help promote the book. Do you enjoy that part of it too? Or, you know, as you said, writing is kind of a solitary thing and some writers don't enjoy interacting with people. I like talking. I like talking about the book. I like talking about Stan. He's very fascinating to me. Um, so it is. It is. It is a part of the process. It's different. It's a different kind of experience. It has a different. You know, it has a different kind of pressure associated with it. But but I think also uh, can be very enjoyable and and very rewarding. Um, so yeah, I like it. But but differently than I like the writing process itself, and I, and I especially like the kind of the investigative aspect of the writing process. You know, spending all of this time trying to track down. In Stan's case, it was high school classmates and World War II squadron mates and squadron mates from Israel and friends from between the wars from uh, you know from UCLA and and tracking down the family of an old girlfriend, that kind of thing. Um, was was tremendously fun and uh, tremendously satisfying. Was publishing this book delayed at all by the uh, by the pandemic? Uh, no, it really wasn't. I've been worried about that because I've I've read stories about paper shortages and and all of the rest. But um, for us, it has not been a problem for whatever reason. So it was very fairly recently uh, completed. Correct. Yeah, that that process. I'm you, you didn't. Actually been very straightforward. You didn't finish it in 2020, and the publisher say, "Well, let's hold off a little bit and release it." No, no, okay. we finished in 2021, um, and probably the process has taken about as long as it typically does, about a year or so from when the manuscript was done until um, until when the book will come out. Why is it important to? remember people like Stan? Um, I think it's a great question. I, to me, I think there are a couple of reasons. One, um, it is a fascinating chapter 
in history. And I do think that there's inherent value in studying history as an aid to understanding current events. Um, in many ways, Israel's war of independence has never ended. Um, Israel has been at war uh, every day since Stan set foot in the country back in the in the spring of 1948. And I think the kinds of things that he experienced and the events that led up to that war, I think, in, in many ways, help explain why there is a continuing uh, conflict in Israel. Um, I also think that Stan, yeah, I think more universally, is an example of someone who was on a path in life that was comfortable and that was um, very common with that of his contemporaries. He was, you know, he had finished his World War II service. He was building a new life in sunny Southern California. He was studying on the GI Bill. He had a, he had a, a beautiful girlfriend and, you know, seemed to be on a trajectory like so many other uh, veterans returning from World War II to, you know, to kind of live the American dream and have a nice house and a nice car and a nice family. And yet he had these powerful, he had this powerful desire to do something, you know, that was very, very important to him. And he, and he put himself at great risk to do that. And I think that's, I think that's inspiring, you know, in and of itself and, and worthy of kind of exploration. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for spending this time with me uh, and the listeners this morning and sharing uh, Stan's story with us and, of course, uh, in the book with uh, with your brother, Craig. Um, I, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and the book and really your work, past, present, and dare I say future. Um, do you have... <laughs> Do you have a website that uh, you'd like to share? I think the best place really is 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 just to go to Amazon, uh, searching either you know either Jeffrey and Craig Weiss or or specifically Fighting Back, uh, Stan Andrews and the Birth of the Israeli Air Force. Um, the book is available already um, for pre purchase, um, and there'll be a link, I believe, to uh, to the to I am my brother's keeper as well, and also a link to um, to our author's page. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. It was uh, a, an honor and a privilege to visit with you this morning. Thanks so much. The pleasure is all mine. Take care. You too. That was uh, Jeffrey Weiss. He and his brother Craig. Um, Authors of the book Fighting Back, Stan Andrews and the Birth of the Israeli Air Force. That's uh, being released uh, May 17th of 2022. And we'll have more of the time. For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Another five-minute mystery 
See if you can solve the case before the end of the program. Well, Alice, one more block and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own? Ah, it's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now and I intend on having a perfectly wonderful time. Now here we are. Oh, what a charming place this is. Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. (gasps) Jim, look! What? Where? There, on the living room floor. It's Dorothy, dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questions. I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. Well, there's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Miss Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. I had written Mrs. Brooks to tell her that I would call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour late. Maybe if I had been here earlier, it may have been prevented. Hmm, well, that remains to be seen. Apparently, Miss Brooks was sitting here in this chair putting red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish had spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish. D-O-C. D-O-C? I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal. Yeah, sure? You don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't. Oh, oh. Yes, Miss Manning, can you think of somebody with those initials? Well, I, I... D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Why, it can't be. Yes, Mr. Brooks. I haven't been called Doc in over two years. It was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. No one in New York even knows me by Doc. I've, you've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Hmm, well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes. I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then then it wasn't Doc after all? No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear. And now, back to our story. How dare you arrest me? I was still on the train. Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Miss Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. That wasn't what really gave you away, though, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? Join us again next time for another chance to solve a five-minute mystery.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're gonna be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we gotta get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney General and we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. In these days of the Cold War, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, has become one of our most valuable tools. However, many Americans have complained that too much of the CIA's activities have been kept secret. Tonight, as a public service, we are happy to be able to present the secret head of the CIA who will answer all of your questions. To maintain the secrecy of his identity, he will be wearing a mask. How do you, how do you do, sir? My name is Jose Jimenez. <laughs> sir, you, you just told your name. What are you oh, going to do boy. now? <laughs> what are you going to do now? Well, I guess I'll just take off the mask. But first, I'd like to say something. What? Trick or treat. <laughs> sir, as a... Uh, <clears throat> oh, boy, sir. they're going to really kid me about that back at the office, I think. Sir, First sir. time I had this mask off. Do I need to yeah. shave up here? No, no, no. No. It has been said that spies work for the highest bidder. Would you tell me if that's true? What's it worth to you? <laughs> I, uh, I understand that, uh... When you're a spy, you use very tricky devices. Is that true? You understand that when you're a spy, you use tricky devices. Well, you see this cigarette that I'm smoking? Uh-huh. You see that? Yes. That's really a gun. <laughs> Come on now, you can't tell me that cigarette is a gun. Oh, yeah? How would you like a shot in the mouth? <laughs> we also, among other things, use very... Cleverly concealed cameras. Oh, really? Sure. See this front tooth here? Yeah. See that? Yes, I that's, see. That's not really a tooth. That's a miniature camera. How does it work? Just press my nose. <laughs> and, and that'll take a picture? No, I just like people to press my nose. <laughs> Actually, uh, my nose is a, a shortwave radio. <laughs> You work the camera by pulling in my left ear. What happens when you pull on your right ear? That turns on my nose. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's absolutely... Um, I think it's running now. <laughs> that's amazing, a camera in your tooth. Uh-huh. I can't even see the little hole. Well, that's because I was in the right half of the class. (laughs) How did you get an idea like that, having a camera in your tooth? Well, I had this film on my teeth. I thought, why let it go to waste? (laughs) Sir, I've heard that they do terrible things to gain information from captured spies. Oh, boy. You heard about that, huh? Yes. I tell you, they do. Oh. You know, one time, they captured me. And they took these bamboo things, they put them underneath my fingernails, and they lit fire to them. They were burning things under my fingernails. And then they came and they hit me on the shoulders very hard, right there with the bony part where it really could hurt. And then they punched me in the nose, and they punched me in the stomach. And then they took these pair of pliers, and they 
squeezed me all over the place. And then they started to torture me. Did you talk? No, I was too busy screaming. You must have had some uh, thrilling experiences. Oh, I can think of one now. You know, one time I was on a plane, you know, and I had these foreign documents, and I saw on the same plane, right down just a couple of seats from me, still in first class, Yes. Oh. were a couple of foreign power people, you see? Yes. They were there. Yes. So I took these foreign documents, and I went into the laboratory, but when I came out, they caught me with the documents. Well, why didn't you get rid of them? There was a sign that says, don't throw any foreign articles into the laboratory. Sir, who would you say was the greatest spy in history? The greatest spy in history was Ludwig van Beethoven. I didn't know Beethoven was a spy. You see how great he was? As long as we have you here in front of these microphones, uh, would uh, be all right with you if some of the people here in the audience ask you some questions uh, pertaining to the CIA. Would you answer all of their questions? Yes, I would answer all of them. Oh, that's I'd very good. very happy. Would you please uh, feel free to ask any questions you have. How can we get a job at the CIA? Do you have any experience as a spy? <laughs> Not yet. Are you married? Yes. You've had experience. <laughs> If you are caught behind enemy lines, all you have to do is give the name, rank, and serial number of every soldier in the United States Army, where they are billeted, and, and how many bullets they have. Otherwise, they'll give you such a clock, you won't even know what Yes. That it's still going on. <laughs> I mean, did you hear anything whistling, duck? Does the CIA have a theme song? Excuse me? Does the CIA have a theme song? Yes. It's over where? <laughs> Here you go. How many copies would you like? Oh, Americans dance on a dance floor And the Spaniards, they dance on a table And the Russians, they dance on a saber but the Mexicans dance on their hats Oh, they dance on hot coals in Calcutta In Wisconsin they dance on fresh butter Which they squeeze from one cow or another Yes, the Mexicans dance on their hats There are Mexicans dancing on derbies There are Mexicans dancing on caps they just throw their fedoras wherever the floor is And start doing horrors and taps They won't quit, they go on 
It's a Mexican custom to take hats and bust them by doing a dance thereupon. Oh, the reason they shot Pancho Villa was he danced on his mother's mantilla. And the message did not reach Garcia. He was out somewhere dancing on hats. There's a fellow in West Acapulco, the most elegant man you could meet. He does sambas on Hamburgs to tunes of Sig Rombergs and sometimes the Nutcracker Sweet. So take care, so beware, or they'll put castanets on and ruin your Stetson cause they all think they're Fred Astaire. If you're ever in This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Wash my hands I don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves I stay away from church Should I sneeze? I do it in my elbow or up my sleeve. Six feet apart. That is the rule. And I pray for the day the kids can go back to school. I'm washing my hands. Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, BBS, and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Will be the death of me a trip to the grocery store to buy a TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find is 16 honey buns and some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be. Death of me, the death of me. You know they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. 
I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> Soon as I regain Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.